It makes me feel hopeful somehow. Like it makes me feel like you can get through, even though life has beat me up as much as other people. It's like this thinking about this way out of the like mire and into the watching makes me feel hopeful. Coming all the way from Minneapolis to Washington, D.C., we now bring you Enter the Freud. Warning, this podcast is for entertainment only, not intended for medical purposes. Listen at your own risk. This idea is that does trauma, the trauma, it sort of has, has this like the traumas like the sand in an oyster. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of raises the question of like, maybe trauma's good. Yeah, although don't you feel like it's not always? No, definitely not. You know, like sometimes it's just absolutely excruciating and destructive. For sure. So then what is the shell? Like what needs to happen to the sand? I don't know. That would be worth wondering. Like, so a person who has a traumatic experience, what what kind of like holding or tending needs to happen for that to, to turn into the pearl? Mm-hmm. I don't even know. It's like, that's, it's just not, I don't think it's simple. No. You'd have to theorize broadly. I'm sure people are trying. Well, the simple thing, which it's not simple. The simple thing is like, it's like the optimal amount, like too much trauma and the person just crashes, just like, and no trauma. And it's just like this like perfect, boring, boring thing. Yeah. But the, the middle ground trauma is like just mm-hmm. enough to... And that's sort of just this archetypal thing of everything. Like music needs tension but needs resolve. Right. And you have to have the right balance. And poetry probably needs to break the rules. But you can't break the rules too far or something. Yeah. Yeah, that tension. Yeah. Sometimes I also think it's this thing... Like I remember my mom saying this thing about my mom had a fair amount of, like, some early trauma, too. And she said this thing of, um, like, that at some key point, she decided that she was different than the people that had sort of traumatized her. There was some internal decision of, like, well, I could either, like, sort of stay in this subculture that that created me, or I could see myself as like sort of somehow different or other, and I can start looking for other influences. Yeah, yeah. And, and that decision that I'm different from them freed her from it. That was a protective factor. Yeah. And it's like, then this, maybe then the sand was in the shell, but it was like, she wasn't going to get weighed down by that whole subculture. She was going to go look for other people to like transform the sand or something. That's interesting. There is this thing with, I don't know if that's universal. But no, but it's it's related to this thing I observe with people is that the trauma people have their trauma and then they. Um, well, Freud calls this repetition compulsion. It's like they have their trauma and somehow it like they they start to identify it too much and they get hooked in it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they want to stay in it and they want to keep repeating. It's almost they, they, they semi-consciously almost intentionally stay in it because it gives their life some sort of meaning or some sort of uh, um, it like feel their life feels like epic or, mm-hmm. or powerful or gripping or something. Yeah. 
And then you're, if, if they're your clients you're, or if they're your friends or family members, you're, it's like, why don't you just do this thing to get away from it? But they can't do it. It's like, it's like driving. No, I must drive down off the road into that ditch. A lot of people have that. Yeah. And it's funny how from the outside, you could, this thing you said of like, well, why don't you just do this? It's almost like people can't even, it's not even available as a path. It's like not even in the consciousness as another way to, to, to find your way through the situation. You know, I often say to clients though, like that the moment of waking up is when you feel you're about, the repetition compulsion is like rising in you. You're about to like, you can feel that you're headed to the same destination. You're attracted to the same kind of pain. And the moment of waking up is sort of like, oh, there it is. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just not going to do what I've done habitually. And that, like, if you can catch it real time, I really think that's the opening of some creative space, some innovative space. And like, I can't tell them what to do instead. That's not my choice. It's like they almost have to be in the moment and have a creative impulse. Like, I'm not going to do this. So let me try something else. Not that this something else is necessarily better right away. But at least it's not the compulsive repetition. Yeah. Well, and the introduction to that, it's like a, it's like a third new consciousness comes in. It's like, wait a minute. Normally I'm drawn into this, but instead, hmm, I'm going to go do. And there's this like liberating thing, which I think that's similar to what you were saying about. Was it is your mom you're saying? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Who said I'm going to do I'm going to be different. Right. Somehow. I'm going to be different. It's kind of like if I just have this it's almost a witness self or a witness right. consciousness yeah. or something. Yeah. 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 And then that, you know, it's a decent hypothesis that that's the answer to this question is it's not just the amount of sand that gets into Mm -hmm. the oyster. It's that if there's the presence of this other thing. If you can find a way to suffer and be curious about the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. There's the suffering self, the traumatized self. But if you can also have another self that's we're calling it the witnessing self. If that's there then there's like art or creativity or whatever. And it's this other thing. Whereas if you just have the traumatizing suffering yes, self. And you're in, in a sub, in a like subconscious way, you're just autopilot yes. over and over again, the same traumatic pattern. Yeah. yeah. And then it's almost even, I was, uh, we were talking about um, these friends of mine that I was drawn to because they're like these shining, burning, shining, um, runaway freight trains and one of them i was thinking of he didn't have any trauma Mm. i mean everyone has he he more had like failures of developmental needs really like his parents indulged him too much and he's really not doing well now Mm. but his life was like too easy Mm -hmm. and he just was given everything and he really didn't have any traumas in the way we typically think of it but he also really didn't and doesn't, as far as I know, I haven't seen him in a long time, have this other thing that we're talking about. So it's almost like, even without traumas, if you just don't have this witnessing self or this this kind of view of yourself from some... It's almost like a... I, I, I kind of want to say artistic and creative, but also could maybe be spiritual. It's just this like higher perspective looking down at yourself yeah. that offers a different option. And don't you think that if there's a good therapeutic alliance or in successful therapeutic work, that that's 
one of the primary outcomes. Yeah, probably. Is the person starts to be able to look at their life and not be so like mired in the experience of their life, but they can have this gaze. They don't even, the one watching doesn't even have to get it right. Like they don't have to analyze it the right way because there isn't. It's like, it's just a layered, you, you can layer 10 meanings, but by creating meaning from that distant place, you're, you're not so mired in the suffering itself. Totally. Okay. So then can parents teach, like what can a parent, I'm asking a question. I don't know the answer to, can a parent, or maybe I do, but I don't think, well, anyway, can a parent kind of like cultivate that, that witness self in a child? And like, when do you think children can actually start to have that they need abstract thinking obviously right so they need to be or do they i don't know know. okay i just want to hear you bad at that question all right it's a super good question and we had like my knee-jerk reaction is not definitely parents can do it and my knee-jerk reaction is even and that's one of the fundamental jobs of being a good Mm -hmm. parent is to cultivate that so i'd say yes they can and they have to and we as parents we need to do that and then it's like, well, fuck, how do we do that? I don't really know. Um, and then you ask this other question that's interesting. is like, because it's sort of, you would think of this as like a, it's kind of like we could imagine Piaget's stages of development or Freud's stages of development, these, these stages of development. And the, what we're talking about is a later stage of development. You sort of think of a, a human doesn't really start having that until like college age or something or mm-hmm. who, maybe in after college. But I bet it's, I bet the parent, I bet there's a thing the parent needs to be doing earlier that plants the seeds for that. Okay. I agree. But like, okay, certainly modeling. Because it's not. The parent could model that kind of relationship with their own pain. Mm hmm. But the kid's probably not picking up that level of subtlety. Well, not consciously and not cognitively but maybe in some other energetic, emotional, relational way. Uh-huh. But then, we, then, then you got to think about there's these kids, like these, quote, resilient kids that grew up in fucked up situations right. and no parents were doing it, and they can do this thing. Right. Um. My dad is a psychoanalyst. And I remember at the dinner table him doing this. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but he would do this thing where, like, I would spill the milk right before my parents were leaving for the weekend. And my dad would literally say to me, you didn't just spill the milk. (laughs) What's going on that made you... Are you upset about something? You want your mother and I to know something about... What you're experiencing? Right. I don't think that's the way to cultivate it in a kid. But was that cultivate? Because then there was some part of me that was like, had to think about my action. Mm -hmm. I remember it. I mean, I definitely eye rolled it and felt that it was, you know, like overly clinical or something. But, but he was asking me to look at my life with a, with a kind of curiosity and critical gaze. I mean, it's super cool. Very unusual. (laughs) 99.999% 99.999% of parents don't Not do that. Yeah. And still a lot of people have this witnessing self we're talking about. Yeah. 
But it could be that not that specific question, but just the fact that he, I don't know, had this more witnessing attitude about it. Prompting children to be self-reflective, maybe. But that's so general. Or just seeing, like, let's imagine... I'll I'll imagine my kid, right? He's 14. And um, I think if he's in a thing, if he's stressed about school or something, I probably try to, like, give him empathy and feel it. But I also probably try to see that this isn't... This isn't his whole self. I kind of can see there's more to it. That thing sort of feels, like, related to this. I agree. And... in the same category as what your dad was doing. So then I guess it makes me want to wonder, like, even if you don't say to him mm-hmm. that you're watching, you're empathizing and caring about the moment. But there's also part of you that's like, that's not everything. That's not defining my kid right now. It's just an ex- a state he's passing through. Yeah. Like, even if you don't say it, right. is it transmitting to I him? for sure think that you is think true. You think it is? Yeah. And By way of what system? Well, we haven't def- <laughs> we haven't identified that system yet. Don't you wonder? Yes. Like the systems, the systems in the machine of consciousness just yeah. has so many layers and levels, and we don't we don't have them all pinpointed yeah, yet. Yeah, so many receptors that are unnamed, and like infinite varieties of like the expression. Yeah. sorry that was just the that was the moment of (laughs) going too far (laughs) okay so I'm trying to think when I developed that witness self oh that's a good question I actually think it was by for me it was by way of meditation I mean probably my parents my parents are both so psychologically oriented and were asking questions about the human experience. I bet that was part of the soil, but then maybe what the actual seed was maybe learning to meditate hmm. and watching the mind. And you kind of remember that. I can remember that. How old were you? I was, how old was I? It was 2000, 26. Yeah, I was probably similar age. When you like, learned to meditate? No, when I developed this. In a, oh, so maybe it's a... Yeah. I, I mean, I was doing a lot of meditation back then, so I, I don't want to say meditation wasn't a part of it, but it wasn't like a central part of it. Yeah. I think it helped and was did little bits here and there, but my th- I, think, I think I developed it through seeing... I was going to say reading about stuff. And there was some like reading psychology and philosophy and religious stuff, but also there would be like reading a novel mm-hmm. or listening to a song mm-hmm. or um, watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And then same thing. And, and then also reading like Carl Jung or Joseph Campbell or uh, comparative religion stuff. And through other people's eyes, I could see them like, expressing human experiences that I was like, oh, that is part of me. And so it was like, I got to see myself 
through the eyes of other thinkers or artists. That's beautiful. I think that's how I got it. Because I remember it started in college and was slow, very slowly. And then through my 20s, it got more and more and more. Mm, I think I bet that's it for me, too. Yeah. Literature. Because you see a you read a book or a song and it's kind of like you you see some artist or thinker expressing this thing. and You're like, oh, that's That's my experience. But so it's like all things, maybe the development of it is like relational, basically. It's like, oh, someone else is putting words to this thing that's my, that's intimate for me. And they see it or something. They can speak about it or read about it. Yeah. I like that. And then, I mean, and then I do think that can happen in relationships, too, where like, so I can be like actually totally in my suffering and not have the witness self present. And someone who knows me well enough and loves me can say something that like sort of by way of the way they're seeing me, right? They can say something that helps me pull out of the suffering into the witness of the sufferer. Do you know what I mean? I wish I had a specific example, but... Yeah. um, Well, it sounds similar to what we're talking about parents doing with kids. Parents doing with kids. But I do think like beloveds can do that for each other too you know more so than friends no i think friends too but there's got to be an intimacy there right where you you could be in your like if you're in your small self yeah, yeah. in your repetition compulsion like feeling your brokenness yeah, yeah. and i'm caring about your brokenness but i also know that you're this expansive thinker and that you you will move through this state into another state yeah. that's the same thing yeah. i think that's a, what you just said is a good way of seeing is like the small self versus big self yeah. and having someone, whether it's a person like your parent or your friend or your lover or an artist or a yes. piece of art kind of helps you see yourself through your big self. Mm-hmm. And then what about God? <laughs> I right. mean, and, the, and then and religion and that word religion is the etymologically is Ray Legary, which is tie us back. It's like you lose yeah. connection to yeah. that perspective and religion is supposed to tie you back to. to the big self. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it makes me feel hopeful somehow. Like it makes totally. me feel like you can get through. Even though life has beat me up as much as other people, it's like it, this thinking about this way out of the like mire and into the yeah. watching yeah. makes me feel hopeful. Yeah, there's I haven't um, I remember having this experience where I was stressed out and this, that and the other. And then somehow I was reading and I think it was in the mindfulness realm of spirituality, something that helped me like. Oh, wait, I'm not a small, I'm a bit, it's like I reconnected to the fact that like, this is all divine and eternal and I'm just part of this thing. And like, I was in like a months long, and then suddenly it was like, ah, it's like, ah, my head's above water. Do you know what it was? What I was reading? Do you remember what you read? So it, it was, it was some mindfulness thing. I don't remember the specific one. But I think the practice was more just like this kind of like coming back to the present moment. There's something at its best when, when you're in some mindfulness practice. For me, when I come back to the present moment, it's, it's not just coming back to the present moment. It's like reconnecting to like the beyond. Mm-hmm. 
And like, then you're free, you're like liberated from, I don't want to say you're liberated from the present moment, but you're liberated from being stressed out about all these little small self things. Yeah, once I had a meditation experience where it was like the sense of it was that I think my eyes were closed, but the sense of it was like I became aware of the fact that I was meditating like in these four inches, like I was right in close, like that was the spatial orientation. I was just like my little mind was like right in this small space. And then does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then. I had the feeling of like the, I guess I'm saying waking, I said waking up before, but the waking up moment was like actually noticing that the walls were there and it was instantaneous. As soon as like, oh my gosh, I'm meditating in a tiny room. As soon as I like saw that, and they were literally right beside my eyes and right in front, not even, no third eye even included. It was like below, you know, like you're snorkeling. I was snorkeling, <laughs> snorkeling towards God or something. <laughs> so I saw the walls and then it opened up and it was like, then I was meditating in this, in like actually where I was meditating, which was like in a huge space. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, there's, you, you can have these perceptual experiences of like, like, stuck in 2d and then suddenly like your universe explodes into full 3d or 4d 